Hi, it's Alex here. I am very excited to announce our first keynote speaker for this year's Future of Film Summit. It's the indomitable Jason Blum. A few things about Jason. He is producer of over 75 films, including titles like Get Out, Black Klansman, and my personal favourite, Whiplash. And he is also responsible for what is recognised as one of the most profitable films of all time, Paranormal Activity, which, according to IMDb, cost just $15,000 to make and has grossed over $193 million at the box office. And boy, that doesn't even include all of those DVD sales, right? And with Blumhouse Productions, Jason has truly innovated the film production business model, pioneering a ruthlessly low-budget approach to filmmaking that has yielded not just commercial success, but greater artistic freedom for storytellers. And in the process, developed this global super brand in the horror genre. Jason will be joining to discuss his work, the Blumhouse model, and his vision for the future of film. And I hope you two can join on November the 18th. Until the end of October, tickets for the three days are still available for less than £50. And if due to COVID that price is beyond your means at this stage, please just email me and we can help because... I really don't want you to be missing out on this opportunity uh, because of that. So there you go. That's Jason Blum at the Future of Film Summit, the 18th of November. Tickets available now at futureoffilm.live. That's futureoffilm.live. Coming up in today's Future of Film podcast... And we need more hope. We need Mm. more hope because hope is the most powerful human emotion I think we have. And if we can give people hope through storytelling and and inspire them through storytelling, even if it's just to change their mind or their heart a little bit, maybe take an action, then I think that that's pretty powerful. Hello and welcome to season four of the Future of Film podcast. My name is Alex Stoltz and this is the show where we share insights and strategies from the pioneers, trailblazers and disruptors who are shaping the future of film. My guest this week is the founder and former CEO of Soul Pancake, the brilliant Shabnam Mogharabi. Shabnam, who is at Shabster on Twitter, is a former award-winning journalist who co-founded Soul Pancake in 2008 with the actor Rain Wilson, who many of you may know from the American version of The Office. Soul Pancake is a digital entertainment company with the vision, quote, to make stuff that matters, which means creating uplifting, and socially impactful videos on a daily basis. With this singular and very different approach to online entertainment, the company has amassed over 10 million fans online and nearly 1 billion video views. Under Shabnam's tenure, Soul Pancake was also acquired by Participants Media, and the company worked across their high-profile film releases such as Roma and Dark Water to reach new audiences and create and measure their social impact. 
Shabnam is an incredibly articulate and engaging speaker, and we cover a lot of really valuable material in this conversation, including strategies to create impact through storytelling, how to reach new audiences, how brands and filmmakers are working together, and how, if you're a filmmaker, how to approach a brand, and how to strategize your career as a storyteller. This episode was recorded as part of Rebels of Storytelling, which you can now watch in full at futureoffilm.live. Rebels of Storytelling would not have been possible without the incredible support of Epic Games and Unreal Engine, who are pioneering the transformation of screen storytelling. We are also proud to partner with Creative England's Creative Enterprise Programme, which has two programmes open for applications right now. Learn to succeed at international film markets with Market Trader, an intensive business development programme for talented producers who are looking to take their projects to market across the world. And Female Founders Scale Up, a dedicated and prestigious programme for ambitious female founders of screen-based companies that will equip female entrepreneurs with the skills and confidence to scale their business and form a cohort of female business leaders across the regions. You can find out more about all of this at creativeengland.co.uk. If you want to discover more about the future of film, head on over to futureoffilm.live. Here you can check out all four seasons of the podcast, as well as access some of our other free resources like Rebels of Storytelling and the Future of Film Report. So that's all available at futureoffilm.live. So that just leaves me to say thank you for listening. And now please enjoy this conversation with Shabnam Mokharabi. Shabnam, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you very much for taking the time. And I just wanted to start by just asking a little bit about Soul Pancake. Um, If people haven't heard of Soul Pancake, what how how do you describe it and and your role there it's not a it's not a breakfast food <laughs> let's start there <laughs> um soul pancake is a media and entertainment company that i started about uh, 11 years ago i co-founded it with a few friends including actor rain wilson who played dwight Schrute on the office if you're familiar the american office um if you're familiar with his weird character um and essentially when we were starting the company we really wanted to make a place online where people could come together and ask what we called life's big questions questions and explore what it means to be human and navigate the world around us, but to do it in a positive, inspiring, and joyful way. And that was really the impetus of the company 11 years ago. Um, Fast forward a few years, and we started really um, investing most of our time and energy and dollars into video content, particularly social and digital video content. So we uh, started creating content on YouTube and Facebook and Instagram and really focused on short form video content and video storytelling, um, mostly docu-series style content, some scripted, and really, again, focusing on this mission of uplifting stories uh, around the human experience. So we've amassed now more than a billion video views 
reviews online. We have nearly 10 million fans across our social networks, and we've expanded what we do into television. So we've had series on the Oprah Winfrey Network, the CW. We have a show that we just recently sold to um, Quibi. So really expanding the footprint of the type of content we create. Um, so that's Soul Pancake kind of in a nutshell. Um, and the other thing is that about three and a half years ago, we were acquired by Participant Media. Participant is a, a film and documentary studio, an independent studio in Hollywood that really focuses on narratives and storytelling about social change and social issues. So we like to say that Soul Pancake is about changing the hearts of people, the hearts and minds and influencing hearts and minds. And Participant is about creating momentum for real change once those hearts and minds are evolved. So it's been a nice marriage to be part of that larger company. So, uh, so yeah, that's, that's the story of Soul Pancake. Yeah. <laughs> that's a great, great story. And uh, <laughs> I'd love to, to understand a bit about how, I guess, how you work with participant and not to add another question onto that, but I'm going to add another question onto that, the, the, the business, the business model and, and how do you, yeah, how, how is, how do you monetize? Yeah, so um, so participant is a traditional film studio. So they do financing and production of films, and obviously partner with distribution partners to get those films out there in theaters and through box office and and uh, and non box office theatrical distribution. Um, so they've got a traditional kind of film studio economic model. In terms of Soul Pancake, we obviously create ad revenue through the social platform. So you know YouTube and Facebook generate ad revenue in terms of the viewers that we get on that content. We also have done tons of branded partnerships and sponsorships where we will partner with corporations and brands that have similar values to us, start from that values alignment at the top, and then really figure out what can we make together that's not really a commercial. We're not trying to sell you a product or a service, but really what are the stories we can tell that represent both of our values? So we'll do that through branded content partnerships, through sponsorships, um, and so on through our social platforms. And then on the television side, it's a traditional television model where we'll develop content and sell it to a network or partner with a network to produce that, that content and take uh, executive producer fees on it. How, what, what kind of uh, stories or content or platforms, I guess, are you seeing really uh, working? Because you're, yeah, you, you're doing the kind of storytelling and, and um, yeah, and stories which people don't normally associate with like lots of clicks on, 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 on social media. Um, so how do you get those kind of more um, meaningful messages out there on those platforms? Uh, you know, it's funny. I I think that when we started the company 10 years ago, we would go into meetings with agents and managers and we'd say, here's what we want to do. We want to uplift people. We want to move people. We would show them sample video clips and people would be sitting in the rooms, tears flowing down their eyes saying, this is beautiful. I would love to share this with people but we're not going to work with you. And we would say, wait, what? <laughs> um, and it was literally the feedback we would get is there's not enough drama. There's not enough stakes. 
it's not the Kardashians, no one's going to watch this. And we kind of decided to just forge ahead and invest the dollars we raised into doing it on our own on social platforms. And what we found is there's actually a huge audience that's craving hope and inspiration. They're craving lightness in a world that often through the news and through what we hear feels heavy and weighed down and they want hope um, in, in that. And so we, we feel like we actually birthed the, um, the, the industry of kind of good news. I think post Soul Pancake launching, we saw the launch of Upworthy and AJ Plus and you know, even John Krasinski's recent show, Some Good News Online, the success of that really speaks to the fact that as human beings, we want hope and inspiration. And so there is an audience for that. And I think the distributed social models with YouTube and Facebook allowed us to tap into those audiences that sometimes networks thought, oh, that doesn't have necessarily the cachet to bring in an audience. And yet, and yet it does. And I think that, that the online distribution model showed that there is an audience for this kind of content. So I'm seeing, I'm seeing that that is now moving into a more traditional, you know, mainstream kind of content. I mean, if you, if you th even think about shows like Queer Eye on Netflix, so positive, so uplifting, so inspiring. It's about bringing people together. And I think you're going to see more of those kinds of shows because people are hungry for and craving models that show them what it can look like to live a different kind of world. Yeah, that's, uh, that's, that's, that's very uplifting in itself. <laughs> it doesn't mean that there's not a lot of crap out there. There's still a lot of crap out there. There is. Um, and we'll continue to feed that side of us as human beings. But I think that we need more balance in the entertainment that we consume. Mm. And we need more hope. We need mm. more hope because hope is the most powerful human emotion I think we have. And if we can give people hope through storytelling and, and inspire them through storytelling, even if it's just to change their mind or their heart a little bit, maybe take an action, then I think that that's pretty powerful. Well, it's really powerful. And I guess the question uh, on, on my lips is how can we take that into into film and 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 like you say more well different platforms i guess um film and uh, other times of screen storytelling you know how do we how do we make that work on a on a commercial level mm -hmm. what kind of yeah strategies should we be looking at to push that forward yeah you know um uh so you know, Soul Pancake and Participant, we, we for, um, for a while, um, especially at the end of last year and the end of 2019, we talked a lot about how do we define the type of content we're creating. And the term we came up with uh, to kind of define it is this kind of umbrella term of impact entertainment. Really thinking about how do you create entertainment, tell stories that generate some type of impact. Again, doesn't have to be something that passes a bill or revolutionizes something, but really just impacts people's hearts and minds or perceptions of a certain issue. Um, and the hard thing about impact entertainment is that you never want to feel like you're preaching. 
and you never want to feel like it's about an issue because people want to still be entertained, right? We are, we are storytellers and filmmakers and people still want to be entertained when they turn on the television or their phone and start watching something. So what we've learned in how to actually tell these kinds of stories is there, there's kind of three things that I think are really important. Um, one is that you have to let the artists lead. You have to let filmmakers, actors, artists lead the way. If you're telling them, oh, I want to make a film about X issue, or I want to make a, a tell a story about X topic, then you've lost the battle before it's even begun. You need someone who's going to be passionate about telling that story and who's passionate about that issue and wants to tell a compelling narrative about it. So I think relying and finding artists and voices and filmmakers and actors who genuinely and authentically care about the topics is first and foremost the most important thing you can do. The second thing that I think is really important is to know kind of your own limits when it comes to the issues um, and the issues that you want to talk about or, or raise awareness about. Because um, oftentimes we want to be everything to everyone. And the reality is that as filmmakers, studios, uh, you know, artists, we need to know that this is, this is the box that we're really good at. We're really good at telling the stories and making the art. What we're not really good at is mobilizing people on the ground and, you know, creating the right change structures for, for social justice work or for social change. And so I think it's really important to know what your limits are and find the right partners to help come on board who can actually take the art and leverage it for actual change. So, um, you know, we did a, a project, you know, a year ago um, that was aligned with Roma, the film that participant made uh, with Alfonso Coron. Um, and the film itself, that was Alfonso's story. It was about his childhood, his upbringing, the women who raised him and influenced him. Um, but one of the things that was really interesting is there were a lot of organizations, and the one we partnered with was the National Domestic Workers Alliance, but there were a lot of organizations that said, oh, this film actually is really powerful because it, it illustrates and brings to the forefront a group of people who are otherwise invisible, domestic workers. And so we can really use this film as a tool in educating people about why it's important to have a domestic workers bill of rights and so on and so forth. And so I think it's, um, I think knowing that our limit was making the film, we knew how to make a really compelling film and empower an artist. Um, but then when it came to actually creating social change and momentum, we had to rely on a partner that knew that space. And then the third thing is, you know, people, um, again, don't want to be asked to do something all the time, right? Um, the, the like third thing that I think about when I think about building campaigns and movements using art and storytelling as a momentum building tool is you don't want to ask someone for something all the time. Every time you interact with um, an audience member, you don't want to be saying, okay, watch this thing and now take this action. And now you're going to watch this other thing and we want you to take this action because people tune out and they want to feel like they are getting something just as much as they're giving something. And so we're also, I think, very selective about how often we create campaigns and try to mobilize an audience around an issue. It's not every film. It's not every piece of digital content we put out. It is not every single story we tell. We're very selective about picking the ones that we actually think can create a change so that we're not continuously asking the audience to do something. Sometimes 
it's just entertainment for the sake of entertainment. And the world's a little bit better because that story exists. It doesn't need to have a full entire impact campaign around it. So those are kind of the parameters that we think about in thinking about how do you make these stories? How do you tell these stories and do it in a way that doesn't feel like you're preaching to people or telling them they have to take action and to balance that with the, with the true reason they're coming to you, which is that they want entertainment and stories. Well, I'd like to come back to the first of those three, actually, thinking about the storytellers. Mm-hmm. And I suppose, you know, uh, well, lots of questions around that, but how, how, do we, how do we find those storytellers and how do we find the storytellers who are going to be able to tell, you know, the stories which need to be told, I suppose, or, you know, have that passion about those stories? I mean, I'm thinking particularly, I guess, about representation behind the camera. Yeah. Um, It's hard. It's super hard because Hollywood is set up in a certain way, in a very hierarchical way. Um, You know, artists and filmmakers move through the studio system in a very particular path. Um, And oftentimes, because there's so many factors in what will make a film successful or theatrically perform is what's the A-list director and the A-list actor who's going to be on the on the roster for the film um, to help create those those economics. And so I think it's it's really hard to create that kind of change. Um, I think one of the things that has helped is, frankly, social media, the the lack of barriers to entry on places like YouTube and Facebook has really truly helped in terms of breaking through new talent. Issa Rae wouldn't have a show on HBO were it not for the fact that she made a series on YouTube called Awkward Black Girl and was able to build a fan fan base and create a community around her that was that was focused on that. Broad City, um, which is two women of color, you know, in New York, um, again, was birthed online. And that talent wouldn't have been found were it not for the fact that um, that these these non-barriered uh, platforms exist. So I think we've got some good pipelines being built right now through social media and thanks to social media. I also think as Hollywood becomes, you know, more woke, <laughs> for lack of a better term, um, there is there is more intentionality and and attention being given to finding voices that are underrepresented. It's been really interesting. You know, last year we did an exercise at Soul Pancake and at Participant in analyzing, you know, who who are we telling the stories of? Who is represented on camera? Who's represented behind camera? And, and kind of looking at the numbers of our films, as well as our TV projects, as well as our digital and short form content. So really the full spectrum of everything that Participant and Soul Pancake creates, thinking about how, how we're doing, how are we actually doing? And it was interesting. We found we were doing pretty well on gender. We had a lot of female directors and producers and, and actresses that were represented on camera. Um, we weren't doing as well with people of color and representation of particular particularly black and brown voices. Some of our films have really strong characters on screen um, from the black and brown communities, but not necessarily behind the camera. So I do think it's become a, a, a bit of a wake-up call for a lot of folks in the industry because we're not the only ones doing this. Almost every studio is going through this process of analyzing how, how, are we, how are we doing? How are we doing? And I think in asking that question, that's the first step to then identifying, oh, we have a shortcoming in this area and how can we address that? And I think 
thinking about who is telling the stories of the people whose voices we want to elevate is really important. And we're, we're not doing as good of a job as we should be doing. And we should be thinking more intentionally about who we're, who we're elevating. And we do have to do a little bit more work. And it is harder to go out and find those voices and scour the film festivals and look at what's being created online to find the voices that are, are necessary to elevate. It takes more time and work and effort. It does. But it's worthwhile because otherwise we then lack the voices who actually can tell the stories from the perspective of that community as opposed to as an outsider. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's, it's a commercial opportunity as well. I think that's, um, that's important to, to, to always, uh, you know, to have that, as, have that in mind. I mean, there's been some great successes in recent years, like Get Out and stuff, which, you know, show... Totally. So, I mean, and not only engage the black community, but also massively cross over. So, yeah, I've seen um, uh, there's several AI powered um, softwares that can do script analysis. Right. Um, and a lot of them are emerging right now. And they'll look at a script and they'll decide based on the dialogue and the storylines and, you know, so on and so forth, how successful that film will be. Those AI uh, machines five years ago would never have predicted the success of Wonder Woman. They would never have predicted the success of Get Out or Black Panther because there were no superhero movies with a black, you know, and uh, protagonist that that didn't exist. So there was no model that it could pull from to show that that was going to be successful. And yet wildly successful as a film, huge movement to actually tell more stories with black heroes in it. And so, and so I think that um, we've, we've got to have brave and courageous executives at studios and in companies who are willing to say, I'm going to trust my gut on this. I know there's an audience for this. And maybe the models don't tell me that it'll perform because there's been no historical context for it, but we're going to take a chance on it because we believe these stories need to exist. So I, I do think there's a little bit of um, gut, more gut that needs to come in to counteract the, you know, deification of data <laughs> that has happened um, in the recent in recent years. You're listening to the Future of Film podcast with me, Alex Stoltz, and I'm in conversation with Shabnam Mogharabi. If you want to find out more about Shabnam or any of the other guests on the show, you can do all of this at futureoffilm.live. I want to talk about um, brands a bit because sure. you've had a lot of experience working with brands that sold pancake, and I'm really interested in that. How, yeah, let's just focusing on this idea of impact entertainment and storytellers and, you know, bold storytelling. Can brands fit into that picture? And, and if so, how does that work? Um, yes, they can, but they haven't been very good at it up until now. <laughs> okay, okay. Um, so what's interesting is that at the beginning of this year, 2020, uh, you know, Soul Pancake kind of made the decision to uh, move away from reactive branded content and try to focus more on proactive brand partnerships, meaning rather than responding to RFPs coming to us saying, this is what we want to make, this is how we want to make it, can you produce it as kind of a work for 
higher vendor. Um, we did a lot of that in the last kind of five, six years. Um, instead, what we're doing is saying, here's the content we're making. Here are the stories we're telling. Here are the issues we're focused on. If you as a brand align with that, let's come together and figure out how we can, you know, make one plus one equal three. So we've definitely pivoted this year to focusing more on that because I do think that, again, we need artists and, and you know, filmmakers to lead the way, not necessarily corporations. <laughs> we need artists to, to tell the stories that matter. And so the more we, as well as brands, and corporations can support artists, the better off we're going to be. Now, how I think it can work, there are actually some really good models out there for it. Um, I'll just reference a couple of things I've just seen in the industry. Soul Pancake participant, we're not part of them, but I think they're really good examples. Um, so one is a, uh, a film that was made by Johnson & Johnson. It's called Ward 5B. Um, this was a film that they funded, and it was about a, a, a nursing unit in San Francisco in the 80s when the HIV and AIDS epidemic was kind of a raging problem. And most people didn't understand the virus. They didn't understand the disease. So a lot of the, the patients who had HIV and AIDS were ostracized. They were really kind of shut out. Nobody wanted to touch them or interact with them because they didn't understand the disease. There was this one group of nurses in San Francisco who said, our job is to care. And it doesn't matter you know, what, who these people are, what their background is, what their lifestyle choices are. Our job is to care and provide health services to them. And so they revolutionize the way that we care for HIV and, and AIDS uh, 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 victims. So, um, so this group of nurses in the 80s, um, Johnson & Johnson, because they stand for caring, wanted to tell this story. So they partnered with a, a director, a filmmaker. They told the story of these nurses, created a film, and they did not mention Johnson & Johnson anywhere in it. It was a Johnson & Johnson film brought to you by Johnson & Johnson Studios, and it aligned thematically with what Johnson & Johnson stands for, but it was never about showing Johnson & Johnson products inside of the film. It was just about telling an uplifting and inspiring story about these nurses. And the film went on to be acquired, I can't remember what network acquired it, but it's, a tele, it's now on television as an example, and I, I think an excellent example, of how a brand can really stand for something without having it to be about their product or about their service. It's simply about values alignment. The other example I'll give you is actually Airbnb. So Airbnb, uh, they kind of made their first foray into filmmaking as well. They were approached about a project in San Francisco, which is their backyard where they're based. Um, right after the election of Donald Trump, the San Francisco Gay Men's Chorus said, hey, this is crazy. There seems to be so much hate in the world. We want to go on a tour in the South and we want to perform our music all through the deep South and go on this tour and just find out, you know, how we can bridge gaps through music. Do people really hate us or is this just kind of the dialogue of what's happening? So um, they made a film. So, so they approached Airbnb and said, hey, will you guys support making this film? Um, and, uh, and Airbnb said, yeah, we're all about community and about belonging. This really thematically aligns with who we are and the values we stand for. So they helped fund the creation of this documentary called Gay Chorus Deep South. It ended up winning the Tribeca Audience Award last year. It uh, got acquired and 
uh, I believe is on Amazon or Hulu, one of the streaming platforms. Um, but it's a it's a wonderful documentary. And again, all you see is an Airbnb film at the very top. They don't stay in Airbnbs. There's no Airbnbs being shown. It's simply about values alignment. And as a company, Airbnb wanting to show that they stand for something through storytelling. And I think that's the shift that needs to happen amongst brands for there to be real impact in the way that they think about entertainment. If corporations are always about always about measuring the bottom line in terms of how many more units am I selling, then they're not really about the issue. If you're not measuring impact on the issue, then you're not really about the issue. And I think that that gap, that purpose gap is going to become more and more visible to audiences. So I think that it's really important for brands and corporations to think critically about, you know, if we're going to spend 90% of our ad dollars on promoting the product and service, that 10% that we want to spend talking about our values, how do we do that in a way that's authentic and that actually is about the issue or the topic or the value we care about and not about a product or service? And I think that's the only way that it really actually works and is effective. Yeah, I have a great, great examples. I guess there'd be some storytellers listening to this, filmmakers thinking, that sounds great. I want, a, I want a brand to fund my movie. Do you have any advice or thoughts on how how to engage a, a brand, how to, to, to make those yeah. kind of connections happen? I think one of the things that's been really interesting is that more and more brands are um, elevating their corporate social responsibility work. They're integrating that work more into their marketing and their executive functions. So I think that the best ways to do that is actually not to approach marketing departments, but to approach you know, corporate social responsibility teams or to approach HR teams who have you know, want to stand for values and the, the values of the employees and the company. I think it's about thinking differently about where those dollars can come from. Sometimes they can come from marketing and advertising departments because that kind of values work has been integrated into what they're doing. And there's a lot of great companies who have good examples of that, you know, P&G, Unilever, Estee Lauder, they have great examples of kind of a, an integrated model of values um, within all of their functions, including marketing and advertising. Um, so I think it's about thinking differently about who you approach about the dollars. Um, and I also think it's about thinking about how, how you can put yourself in the shoes of the person on the other side of the table um, to know that they, they have spoken out about X values or this is what's important to them. Here is why this is going to make a difference on this topic or issue or value that they care about. Um, and it's not necessarily, and it's not necessarily going to move the needle on products or services, but it might raise um, kind of brand brand value and and brand affinity for people. And so it's about using different kind of terminology as well when talking to the people across the table, because you want them to to know that you understand that that the reason they're investing in this isn't completely selfless. It's not completely out of the magnanimous 
this nature of their, their wallets to say, oh, I care about this issue or values, I'm going to write you a check. They do want a brand affinity lift. They do want to see that people, you know, find more appreciation for their brand as a result of being associated with whatever project you're working on. So it's about not avoiding that conversation, but to have real clear parameters around, we're not planning to put product placement, we're not doing, you know, like a pitch for a service. However, we want to hone in on the very clear values that this aligns on and make sure that you are getting the affinity lift um, from this project that you guys will want to see. So I think it's, it's about, again, knowing where to go for the dollars and thinking differently about it, but also knowing the language that they're going to be looking for to, to really make sure it fits in their strategy. Well, thank you so much for sharing that because I think that's, that's really helpful advice to people. And uh, brand affinity lift. That's uh, <laughs> I love it. That's a, that's a new one, but it sounds uh, makes complete sense. I know at Soul Pancake you work quite closely with emerging storytellers. Tell me what you see where um, successful examples of that in terms of how people are. I guess you know planning their career or strategizing around their work. Where do you see things really? you know, uh, effective at this time? Yeah, uh, we, we do. We work with a lot of emerging storytellers. Uh, for most of our social and digital platforms, the folks we're working with are either um, young filmmakers, uh, filmmakers who are very early in their careers, who haven't necessarily established their, their portfolios or their names yet. And they're really kind of looking at Soul Pancake as a platform to kind of experiment and build out their, um, their, their roster of work. And so we've worked with a lot of emerging storytellers. And, and there's a couple pieces of advice I usually give to, um, to the folks that we're working with who are, who are new to the space. Um, one is that, um, there's a tendency amongst new young storytellers to be very precious about their work. And I like to send them, there's this video actually by Ira Glass. Um, it's a voiceover video created by, um, uh, uh, with an Ira Glass voiceover. Um, and he's talking about, you know, taste and creativity. And he basically says that there's a gap. You know, when you start out, you know you have good taste and you have certain instincts and you believe you've got the, uh, the right creative instincts to do whatever creative work you're embarking on. But you make your first thing and you're like, wait a minute, why doesn't it, why didn't it come out as great as what I know my taste level is and my creative instincts are? Like, why is there this gap there? And uh, his advice is that you have to keep making stuff and you have to keep putting things out there because every single time you produce something, every time you, time you create, you get a little bit better each time. And you start to get more aligned with what your vision is and what your taste level is with what the actual execution is. And so oftentimes we'll have young storytellers come to us, emerging storytellers, and they'll say, oh no, but this has to be perfect. Or they want to edit it 10 times more or revise it 10 times more. And because of the speed and nature of digital content, we're like, nope, you've got three weeks, put it together and let's go. And I have to remind the storytellers that sometimes you just have to put it out there and you have to keep putting it out there and keep creating content and keep creating content before it finally breaks through, before it ex exactly represents what you wanted to make. If you're too precious about it,
it at the beginning, you'll lose the momentum of the pace of creation that can help you get to the point where your taste and your execution are actually more aligned. Um, I'll give you an example of this. We worked with an amazing filmmaker named Brad Montague. He was the person behind our Kid President series. Um, so Kid President, hugely popular series on our channel, has more than 100 million views. And uh, um, it's about a little boy who gives kind of these uplifting messages from a cardboard oval office. And uh, when he started making the videos for Kid President, you know, we would get a few thousand views on them and he was starting to get really discouraged. And we had to make weekly videos for more than seven months before we finally had one video, which was the pep talk breakthrough and go viral. In the course of a weekend, it got 30 million views. But it was six months of weekly videos that Brad was making with this message, with this story, improving on the tone, improving on the narrative, improving on the humor. And it was only after six months of weekly episodes that we had an episode breakthrough. And I say this example to people because I need them to understand that you know, if you put all your eggs in that one basket, you're going to be disappointed your first time out of the gate because it's very rare that you get a home run that first time out and you have to keep creating and you have to keep that steady drumbeat up because that's what helps you hone your voice. So that's one of the big pieces of advice that I give emerging storytellers is to, to just create, to, to let go of the preciousness that you have around your projects and to put it out there because your first one is not going to be great, but your second one will be better and your third even better. And the 10th one might knock it out of the park. And so I think it's really important to remind storytellers of that. And uh, I think you had a second piece of advice as well. I did have a second piece of advice. <laughs> so, <laughs> but I was like, I'm talking too much. So maybe I should no, stop at the No, that's great. I mean, I, I love, uh, I am not at all. And this idea of something, you know, did you say a hundred million views? I mean, that's just, uh, obviously that's extraordinary. And Oh, I guess even in even in the world of viral videos, that's that's extraordinary. And um, and for most filmmakers or storytellers to get that many kind of engagements with their work is is unheard of, right? So yeah, I guess it's you know it's people widening you know the perspective on what on what you know on on the craft really and and thinking about different ways to. Yeah. To tell the stories and I guess different ways to to finance that so in in the case of soul pancake how, how do you work with storytellers on that on that is it you sort of engage with them for a period of time or a particular project so we um at soul pancake we have a kind of a discretionary fund for funding content that we put on our channel um because of the nature of youtube and the you know the way that their revenue works it gets very complicated if we try to do deals that are too complicated so we essentially will fund making the content we'll acquire the rights of it and we'll distrib distribute it um because we've got a social audience base that can engage with it um however we'll attach that talent for the for the show so they'll be attached if it goes on to television like Kid President did, that that talent is attached to the show as it goes on and will renegotiate per platform what the terms of the agreement 
are. Um, so the way we approach it is to actually fund and kind of deficit finance the creation of the content that goes on our channels. Sometimes we'll license things if things are already existing and they've already been made and we just really like them and they, we think that they fit in our universe. We'll license them from, from a filmmaker. But most of the time, it's just an idea we're being pitched and we will actually finance the production of that, that content. Um, uh, but I think what's what's interesting is that the price points are significantly lower for digital content. I think people, you know, don't realize just how powerful their camera phones are. We can now record in 4K HD on our cell phones. Um, you know, you can buy a $30 lav mic online and a, you know, $50 ring light and you can actually, you know, set up a pretty professional looking you know, uh, uh, set up. I mean, you can get drones now for for $100 and create beautiful footage. So I think a lot of people underestimate how easy it could be to actually create something quickly and effectively and start to make that content. And so I also think um, people tell themselves, I need more than you actually do. Um, and I think that being scrappy and thinking scrappy, especially at the beginning, forces you to be creative. Um, and I think that that's actually where we've seen a lot of really awesome content emerge online. I mean, so, so many of the huge, huge, huge um, um, uh, creators online on YouTube who have gone on to make amazing television shows and films and so on and so forth, they started with just a camera in their bedrooms. They had one light. They used, you know, whatever products they had at home to create stop motion. I mean, it literally is about knowing what your limiting factors are and then being creative within that. And so I think it also um, has, has, up-leveled our creativity in a really interesting way. Someone told me, you know, I know we're still dealing with the, the um, COVID-19 quarantine and, and how to reopen after that. Um, but someone told me that their dad is, a, is an AP Euro history teacher. And he said that the other name for the Italian Renaissance was actually the Black Plague Renaissance because it was during that time that the plague was essentially wiping out half of Europe's population. And yet, despite that, all of these amazing artists of the Italian Renaissance emerged creating profound pieces of work that we still study today. And so I think that, you know, when your parameters are limited, like with the quarantine and with Corona, I think we saw and are continuing to see some really amazing, beautiful, creative expressions of art that I don't think we would have seen were it not for these parameters put on us. So I encourage people to not think about resources and budget and so on and so forth as limiting, but as frankly, a playground to really to stretch and, and, and exercise and experiment with their creativity. Because I do think being scrappy forces you to think differently. Well, I think that's an incredibly inspiring thought, actually, about using this time and the, the limitations of this time actually um, being, a, being a catalyst for creativity and, uh, and inspiration. What do you see as the future of film? Um, it's funny because the, I, I think that the future of film is at a critical turning point right now. I think that what uh, what had been happening in the last five to 10 years is that the emergence of the streaming platforms 
had had shaken and rattled the core of the entertainment business. Um, not only the streaming platforms, but also social platforms like YouTube and, and Facebook, they really truly, I think, shook to the core of the entertainment industry and the traditional models of theatrical releases and big box office films um, is, is, has been questioned and will it survive and how can it survive? If you're not making a Marvel film or a Star Wars film, is there even any point in creating a big blockbuster film anymore? And, and so I think it's been really fascinating to see how the quarantine and, and COVID-19 has actually accelerated that conversation. So many um, studios went running with their films that they were planning to release to the streaming platform saying, okay, we can't release this theatrically. Should we release it online? Um, the economics of that are still unclear. How do you recoup uh, those dollars as a streaming platform that you're spending on films to, to populate when your subscriber base isn't growing at a rate to sustain it? So I think that everything that's happening right now with the, the quarantine and the, the trying to figure out how we reopen, how do we go back to movie theaters, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to accelerate the changes in the film industry. Industry. And I think what we're going to see is more reliance on streaming platforms, more reliance on um, uh, mobile ways of, of watching films. I think there's going to be a, a pullback from huge theatrical releases being more thoughtful, segmented, regional, and how films are released. And I also think that the, the social platforms and the streaming platforms are going to come to a reckoning soon of how, how will their economics be sustainable beyond the subscriber model that has so far helped buoy them, you know, how is that going to continue in the future? So I actually think that everything that's happening right now has accelerated the conversations around the core fundamentals of the entertainment industry. And, and I think, frankly, you're seeing that with the Black Lives Matter protests as well, because it's also accelerating the conversation about representation in Hollywood and representation in storytelling. So I think the future of film is happening faster than we, we we are going to expect it to because of these accelerants that 2020 has brought around. I think this is going to be a year that we look back on in history and say that was a year that accelerated all these new changes in entertainment because of the, the factors that we're dealing with. Shabnam, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you for having me. I hope, I hope this was helpful. I know we covered a lot of very different things. So um, I, hope, I hope it's helpful to the folks listening and, and that maybe there's some nuggets that they're able to take away for their own careers. So that was my conversation with Shabnam Mogharabi, recorded earlier in 2020. If you want to find out more about Shabnam or any of the other guests on the show, you can do all of this at futureoffilm.live. It's also where you can download the Future of Film report and get in touch. I'd love to hear from you. And finally, of course, it's the Future of Film Summit next month, the 18th to the 20th of November. Ticket prices still reduced through the whole of October. So secure yours today. I look forward to seeing you there, hopefully. And if not before, back here on the podcast. Thank you for listening. Thank you.